yeah, you may get this scripture text memorized by the time we're done reading it for these uh, eight weeks as we are looking at the Great Commission. Uh, but we're, we're going to dig deep into this, this text as we go through it for the next eight weeks. I'll get into that in just a second. Hear now the word of the Lord uh, from the Good News According to Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, today's really our first Sunday to dig deep into this text. You might remember at the variety show that Vern and I presided at over a couple of weeks ago that, that we talked about this in, in general terms. And, and I mentioned that as I shared my Air Force commission that, you know, this great commission is something that has given us authority by somebody who's in greater authority over us. The one who created heaven and earth has, has commissioned us. And so as we go through this time together, we're going to look at things like Jesus telling us to go and teach the things that he has taught us. So we're going to take some time during this series to, to talk about some of his teachings of Jesus. He told us to go out and baptizing. And, and what does that mean? And, and talk about this unique Christian concept of a God made known to us in three persons. This doctrine of the Trinity and, and how it affects who we are and, and how we live and indeed how, how we worship. And you know, next week, we're going to talk about how these disciples doubted. I mean, here they are, they show up uh, right there before the resurrection of Christ, and, so, and it said some doubted. So this week, I'm going to put something on Facebook, and I haven't posted a lot lately, but I'm going to put something on Facebook about your doubts. What, what causes you to doubt? What are you doubting right now? And so, you know, maybe you can respond to that somehow, because next week we're going to talk about doubts. If those first disciples doubted, then don't we doubt? So we're going to talk about that some too dear, during this, this series. But today, we are talking about worship. Because when those disciples saw the risen Christ to this mountain that he had called them to in Galilee, the first thing that they did was they worshipped. They worshipped. And so, we're going to talk some, and this, uh, Bern and I talked about this. This message could be a series in and of itself, talking about worship. And, And trust, you know, sometimes preachers get a little frustrated in trying to trying to get everything together. I was frustrated. I mean, I was putting stuff together in between the app and the Auburn game yesterday. I mean, because I, I was trying to figure out some things uh, because th- there is so much we could talk about with worship. But let's see where we're going to go today. So, so what is worship? You know, there's going to be a picture on the screen that, you know, some people think of worship as. Sam? Yep, there you go. Some people think of worship as that, right? I mean, you're bowing down and praying, being quiet and humbly, uh, humble before the Lord, just there kneeling down, feeling this, this peacefulness that you get when, when, you, when you worship that way. It's, it's a kneeling down before God and being quiet before the Lord. And as you do so, you feel this sense of peace as you adore Him quietly. Some think of worship well like this. 
I mean, some folks joyfully come to a worship service and, and they sing praises to God and they jump up and down because they're so overwhelmed with joy and adoration. We think about David when, when the Ark of the Covenant came in Jerusalem and then there he's dancing around so much in his underwear that his, his wife got on to him. And so people get exuberant. They raise their hands. And we, we do that sometimes when we worship. But the word worship is several meanings that you find in the dictionary, but one of the key meanings is devoted or devotion. And we can be devoted to a lot of things like, well, what's on the screen right here? Look at that. The beat, you know, when, when the Beatles arrived in America, I mean, folks went nuts, right? They were devoted. They screamed and hollered. They, they faded in the aisles because they're so devoted to these guys that came from England. And so, in fact, some of y'all smiling. You might have been, any of you on that picture? Uh, yeah, you know, th that is something we can be devoted to. People are devoted to rock bands and all sorts of things. I understand a lot of people were devoted in this place yesterday. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of devotion went on there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in devoted in places like that. I was 87,000 of my, my best friends at Jordan-Hare Stadium in, in Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, and some people go to Clemson and, you know, other places like that. But yeah, we... Saw some great football yesterday, didn't we? I have to digress just for a second. I mean, the state of North Carolina had the two best football games that went on. And I, you know, you know who my following is. But I mean, NC State and East Carolina? I know you, you, you yep, you state fans are going, whew. And App and, and North Carolina? I mean, oh my gosh, wonderful stuff. Great, great, great. But I digress, don't I? Well, yeah, we are devoted to a lot of things, right? Because, you see, devotion and worship are part of who we are. It's within our DNA. When we talk about the Trinity, we're going to talk about this eternal being that was glorifying and devoted and serving each other. It's a part of who we are, this being devoted. It's something greater than ourselves to worship, you see. It's expressed in the, in the very first commandment, have no other gods before me. And that's assuming that there are other gods. But we say, oh, we're beyond that, preacher. We don't worship other gods. We don't have idols that are around. We don't talk about sacrificing goats to Baal and everything like that. Do Friends, there are other gods out there, aren't there? Whatever we are devoted to, whatever we spend our time on, whatever we have our energy and our resources sent to, that's a... That's our worship. That's our idol. Why do you think so many people are riled up right now about politics and cultural things? Because they want to be devoted to something greater than themselves. They, they want to honor something that is bigger than they are. You know, we, we see people carrying these phones around. And I can guarantee you that when you see what apps people have, you can see what they are devoted to. I have on my front page an Auburn app. I admit that. Okay, they're the true confession, but I also have a Bible app and things like that too. But what are we devoted to? We see people wearing black and gold and various forms of blue and orange and navy, and some folks even wear crimson. I don't know why they would do that, but we, we, show, our, we show who we're devoted to, right? Yeah. yeah. Because, well, we want to be devoted and worship something greater than who we are. And everything that we give our lives to that is not God 
well, is an idol, right? These secondary loyalties, though some of them are very good. And you know, there's nothing wrong with liking college football or baseball or, or uh, doing good at things. But they distract us from what we truly should be worshiping. St. Augustine, y'all, some of y'all heard of him? You, you know, he was, in, he was in the fourth century. And he had trouble with what to worship and what to be devoted to. You know, he, he had issues. We read about this in his confessions. He had issues with things I don't think anyone could, you know, relate to in this day and time. You know, sex and food and beauty. No one can, can relate to stuff like that now, can they? Yeah, we can. And he had a famous saying that you've heard me say, and I'm, I bet a lot of you have heard it, you know, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts grow restless until we find a rest in thee. Have any of y'all have heard that? Some, some, a few of y'all have, maybe. Well, the run-up to that famous quote, and I'm going to read this. Yes, I, I, I can read. Um, because, you know, often I don't do this, but I want to make sure I have everything just right from St. Augustine. And he said this, What does ambition seek but honor and glory? But only you, O God, have an honor and glory that is never lost. What does the power of the mighty have except to be feared? But none has power that cannot be stolen but by you. What do the lonely and the anxious long for but a love that they cannot lose? But no one can give a love that cannot fade or die but you. What does weariness seek but rest? But what rest is there apart from you? The soul commits adultery whenever it turns from you and seeks these things that it cannot find except in you. And then he says, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts grow restless until we find our rest in thee. You know, we devote ourselves and we worship all sorts of things. We give our time and our effort to work, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with work, is there? I mean, we, we got to make a living, but so many times our work becomes all of who we are, right? Because we find meaning and purpose from what we do, right? And if something goes wrong at work or we get criticized because of something that we've done, oh, how it wounds us and hurts us because we have found all of our purposes, and all of who we are and what we do 40, 60, 80 hours during a week. And when folks retire, or as I said, when things go bad, we wonder what have we spent our lives doing. Of course, there's uh, all sorts of things that people give themselves to. As I said, you know, political parties and politicians, and, and we see that those disappoint. You know, we, we give ourselves to hobbies and to sports and, and, to, and to our looks, and when these fade and when, you know, the arthritis starts to hit the knees like they have mine, I mean, it, it, it's one, we wonder, well, why have I devoted myself so much to this? And even great things like family, there's nothing wrong with with our families, but these have to be secondary concerns to our devotion to God. For you see, sometimes in our families, well, don't we disappoint each other? And don't sometimes we chase around our kids and the tyranny of the schedule that we put ourselves through because we're trying to get themselves involved in so many things seems to wear us out. 
Yeah. All these things should be secondary concerns. Some of them are very good concerns. To our devotion to the one in whom we can find true rest and peace and joy. Those first disciples, they had experienced this, this Jesus that they had all their hopes in just a few days earlier, dying on a cross, and all their hopes and all their expectations, all their dreams were shattered. And then they come to this mountain, and there he is. And they realize they are in front of the only one who can bring to them true purpose and true meaning in life. So they worship. How do we worship? How do we worship? Timothy Keller, the former pastor at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, someone who I've re read a lot of, and I, I listen to at least a sermon of his a week. So if you want to find out what influences this pastor, well, Tim Keller is one of those people. And in a sermon that I listened to recently when he was talking about the triune God, he mentions the fact that what is worship but this? It is praise and thanksgiving, it is serving, and it is pleasing. So when we want to uh, give love to somebody and share love with somebody, we tell them, right? There's nothing better to hear from someone that we adore that they love us. I mean, those of us that have been parents and having a little child said, Daddy, I love you, or Granddaddy, I love you. You know, don't we love that? And let me just say this. If you haven't told someone that you are pretty fond of that you haven't loved them recently, do so today. And if you're in the room with you, well, after you leave church, let them know. Because, you know, if we worship something we share that adoration with our lips and with with our lives when i was a kid growing up learning about prayer uh, we learned the acts five method of learning to pray some of y'all might recall the acts five method of prayer and it it starts out yeah adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication and then the five are those close to you the people point the way leaders those who are weak, and yourself. I won't get into all that because this isn't a, a sermon on prayer. But note it started with adoration. It starts with adoration because when we come before the Lord, we adore Him. We want to worship Him. We want to give ourselves to God. And so we come and sing hymns of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord our God. Because you see, it is He and he alone who is worthy of our praise. Psalm, Psalms 95 says this, we bow down before the Lord and we give God praise and adoration because we want him to know how grateful we are and thankful we are for who he is, for all God has provided for us, for the beauty of this earth, for the love that he shows us so, so many way, in so many ways, for the mercy he gives to this knucklehead here, for the constant, the constant sinning that I seem to find myself in. We give these things to God because when we come before God, we adore him. We praise him and we thank him. That's what it means to worship. But worship 
that does not take us out into the world where we serve and where we uh, give. It's not true worship. When you, when you adore somebody, when you love somebody, when, you, when you've said, hey, I, I love you, honey, I, I think you're the greatest, and you don't do anything for that person to show that, well, that isn't too good a thing, is it? No. Well, because I love my wife and I want to show her that I love her, I have a biblical marriage with her. You see, I make the coffee. And, it, <laughs> and if any of you all know the Bible, it, there's a book called He Brews. So I, I, that is me. <laughs> my wife likes to have that coffee first thing in the morning. And I have learned this over time that I better do that because, well, I could say because I'd get in trouble, but I do it because I love her. And before we got wild Rosie, I would even take it to her in bed. But, I mean, she, it, Rosie leaps up in bed. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a disaster. I won't, go, I won't go any further with that. But she would like to sip that coffee first thing in the morning. And I knew and I know that's something she wants. Do I do it? Even if I've been up late watching an Auburn game. <laughs> I set the coffee so it goes off so she can have it first thing. Why? I adore her. I love her. And we too, if we love God and we adore God, then we ask God, how can we serve you? How can we show that we adore you? Because, you know, oftentimes we think of worship as what we do here, right? And this is part of that. We sing songs. We, we uh, list creeds. We say prayers. We stay awake most of the time during a sermon. We come together here. Yes, this is part of what worship is, but worship has to be more. It takes us out in the world. Jesus talked about this earlier in Matthew's gospel in the 14th chapter, quoting Isaiah 29 when he, he says this, they praise me with my lip, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. Their rules are merely man-made laws. For you see, their worship didn't take them out into the world. They came and tipped their hat to God, and then they forgot what they had done in worship. Have any of you all had to cram for a test? Anybody, anybody have to cram for a test? I remember, yeah, yeah, two. Okay, the rest of you all just know the stuff. I remember I would walk in, you know, thinking, all right, let's see, it's Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Murray. And, you know, trying to remember all the presidents in a row because, you know, I was, I, I, one of my majors was a history major, trying to get all those things. And, I, you know, I'd get them all down and, and, and all right, before I forget it, write it down on the, on, the, on the test and turn it in. And then 10 minutes later, after I walked out the class, I couldn't even remember who the first president was, much less, you know, all, way down the list where there's Harrison, Tylock, you know, whether you get mixed up there in the mid-1800s, right? Yeah. You know, that. Sometimes that happens to us in worship, doesn't it? I mean, we, we come here and we praise God and we hear a, a decent sermon every now and then and we read scripture and we say some prayers and then we walk out the door and we forget. We forget that we've come here to encounter this God who, as Brian in the band sang so beautifully, has us on his mind, but we leave here not having him on our minds. We forget. And so what type of worship 
have we experienced? You know, Jesus kind of gets at that. It's kind of the undertone of the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you look at it closely, we, re we read that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and going that way, well, a priest, a preacher, a Levite, a church leader, they'd come from the temple. Jerusalem too, presumably going to worship, and they passed him by. For you see, worship didn't cause them to see the broken and hurting in the world. So what's worship causing us to do? What's worship asking us to do? Several people were asked to give a testimony about how worship transform them and we got a, a beautiful one from Michelle's dad Jim Hastings uh, who shares a time when worship what well, transformed him and caused him to look at things differently and live differently so listen to brother Jim share a testimony of how worship sent him out into the world 24 years ago in Kingsport Tennessee I heard Jesus speak to me uh, I was on a walk to a mess. I was on my second day of a three-day weekend. We were in the uh, we were in the sanctuary, and we were talking about well, we just finished confessing, and that's where men that I hadn't known ever until two days before told things that they probably had never told anybody in their life. And so it was very, very emotional, everybody crying. And we had, we had necklaces with stones in them and we turned those necklaces over because we were, we were uh, crossing over and are, are repenting from our sins after confessing and getting ready to do a crossing over, which we brought rocks in to our table. I was at the table of John, and we were going to, that symbolically represented crossing over the Jordan. So before they did that, they said, we're going to interrupt our process here for a moment because we have a presentation to make. And the guy that was running the walk to Emmaus, he was his rector, was moving away not only out of the Amaz community, but he was moving away from the town to take a new job. And so they brought out from behind the, the uh, altar a picture. They were giving him a picture as a uh, gift for his running the program. And they turned it around and set it down, and it was a picture of a burning bush. All my life, especially the latter part of my life, I had kidded around with my Sunday school class, my friends, people saying, just let me see a burning bush and then I will believe no question. And so that was my burning bush. And when they turned it around and I saw that, I was just shocked. And then I heard God speak to me. He said, now, that's all he said. But I knew what he meant. He meant, uh, now you've seen it. You've talked about it and you've seen it. Now, what are you going to do? Uh, it was just incredible. It was an incredible feeling. Uh, 
between the crying and the shock and all that, it was just, yeah, I can't even describe the feeling. I really cannot. And after that, you go home to fourth day, and that means it's easy to be a Christian, easy to do good when you're in that in that process with all those other men. But when you get home and you're by yourself, can you still? And I have tried since that day, and that was in October 18, 1988. I mean, 1998. 24 years since that time, I have tried my best to be the kind of person Christ would want me to be. I don't always succeed, but I don't ever stop trying. So I had my burning bush experience and my encounter with God speaking to me in a voice just as clear as you can hear. You know, we may never see a burning bush, but we can have an encounter with the living Christ anywhere. And as we have come here together, we, we claim the promise that he made that where two or more, and I think there are more than two here. But at 8.30, I wondered if there was going to be more than two. But <laughs> there are more than two people here. So where are more, two or more gathered? There he is as well. He's here, you see. And those first disciples, when they get, when they went to that mountaintop and they saw this Jesus, they bowed down and worshiped because they knew he was the only one that could bring dead things back to life. He was the only one that could restore life to dead relationships. He was the only one that could take dead dreams and make them alive once more. He was the only one that could take people who said, I have no purpose and give them a purpose. And this Jesus who they encountered, who we come here to encounter, who Mr. Jim encountered, said to them, Go. And they did. Were sent out into all the world. And through them, the world was changed. One of the ways we know we live out our faith here at Boone United Methodist Church is we live out this, this measurable. Where is worship taking me? Where is worship taking me? That's a question we have to ask ourselves this day. As we're about to come receive Holy Communion, where we are told by the living Christ that when you break this bread and partake of this cup, you come into my presence and experience my love and grace in a powerful way. So we're going to encounter Christ here. And when you go from our time of communion, over on the table there, are stones. And throughout biblical history, the people would, would come and, and put stones together. In fact, Diane Rose has placed a beautiful uh, Bethel uh, stone monument in the, in the chapel back there. I hope that you'll go and see. But after communion, you'll go. We invite you to go and take a stone. And like Jacob did there at Bethel, he woke up and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And he took a stone. And he claimed this promise that God had given to him, that I will go with you.
So when you come and take communion, a visible sign and symbol of God's love for you, I invite you to go over to the table and take a stone and think that surely the Lord has been in this place. And then set the stone down, stack it up with others, and claim the promise that he gave Jacob, the same promise that Jesus gave his disciples, I will go with you. And then as you come back to your seat, or as you're going out today, ask, Jesus, where are you sending me? Where are you sending me as I've come here to worship you? It may be something that simple as what I'm going to do today. I'm going to call, you've heard me talk about this fellow, Bob Hayes, who's a, uh, by himself in a assisted living in Pennsylvania. It might be you making a call like that. Maybe you writing a letter. Maybe you mending a relationship. It may be you volunteering to serve on Thursday nights for, with dinner. It may be you deciding to be an usher. It may be you going to the hospitality house to serve or some other place in this community to serve. But Jesus is sending us all to go and make disciples because that's what disciples do. So, Where's worship this day sending you?